Hey, you. Thanks for being a valued listener of Remedial Herstory. Please consider subscribing so we can keep bringing you content. I wanted to let you know about a few things we offer beyond the podcast. If you love what we're talking about here, then you are going to love the Remedial Herstory Master's Classes we have linked in the show notes and on our website. We have three courses, one on pedagogy, U.S. history, and world history, and of course, talking about women in all of those contexts. We also have an annual Summer Educator retreat, which is in person. Details about that are on our website. Our website is also packed with learning materials, including articles for every era of U.S. and world history that we built with a collaboration of over 20 historians. We also have lesson plans for elementary, middle, and high school that involve analysis of primary source material and get students doing history. We also have a video series that goes along with that. All of this is only possible because of the generous contributions from our patrons. You can also support Remedial Herstory at remedialherstory.com slash giving or by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash remedialherstory. Thanks for helping us make Herstory. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are going to be talking about the first female elected to a position of power post-colonialism in Africa. Oh, I was like, what country are we in? Because it's not the U.S. When are we? Dun, 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 dun. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. All right, Brooke, her name was Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, and today I had a wonderful opportunity to interview Professor Pamela Scully. She is a professor of women's studies. Uh, oh, it's complicated. Women, gender, and sexuality studies, because oh, those are different. We, yes. we conflate them regularly on our podcast. <laughs> yikes, yikes. Um, Get and it right. African studies at Emory University in Atlanta. And this was like such an absolute honor to talk to her about this amazing woman. So she is the president. She becomes the president of Liberia twice, 2006 to 2018. You know, it's funny when I when I first got her proposal for this interview. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about was just the rich tradition of female leadership in Africa, um, when you go back centuries. Wow. And, you know, like, think like Cleopatra. Everybody knows about Cleopatra. She's a queen of Africa, right? An empress of Africa. We've got queens in, in all, you know, Songhai, Mali, like all of these I know. Amazing- and I feel like we don't bring them into the classroom enough or talk about them yeah. enough. And it's, I don't know, why is that? Oh, well, I think one of the things that I'm realizing being a professor who teaches world history is just how. One, I don't know enough about all of these places in the world. That's part one. Part two, sources. Like a lot of the things that I've read about African history, they all cite European men who explored in those places and what they wrote about those places. We have a great lesson plan about the Dahomey Amazons on yes, our yeah. website. And building that lesson plan was so hard because, you know, there's this great film out starring Viola Davis. Oh right my gosh. Now, and it's like, oh, this is great. But like, what 
actual documents are they using to like inform that yeah and granted you know i didn't do a ton of the research on this our team you know we had a team of people that pulled this lesson plan together but it's a lot of like men writing european men writing about what they witnessed of the dahomey and they have that that's like clouded in perspective racism male you know patriarchy maleness there's sort of this like barbarianism, you know going on where it's like we you know, all-knowing European blah, 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 blah. Like yeah, civilized looking, culture versus yeah, uncivilized culture. this, like, yeah, uncivilized in quotes, you know. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, define how you want. And then the things that we have from the Dahomey that survive are artifacts. Um, there are these beautiful palace paint, uh, paintings, essentially, that are on the walls of the palace of the Dahomey. And you know, and I say beautiful, like they're very violent and like show the women like decapitating people and whatever. But and so it's interesting. So how, you know, how do we, you know, it's hard to take this like rich text written by a white European man and, and try to contrast that with the perspectives you do have from the Dahomey themselves. Yeah. Because it's not, you know, it's a visual and you're making a lot of inferences about what that visual means about yeah. them. With your own lens. With your own, yeah, your and own, own bias Your own lens. bias lens. Yeah. So it's like, man, that's a tough analysis. Yeah, it's really it's really tricky. So I think that like lends to, I think a lot of people being insecure about talking about that rich history. Um, and, and so it's hard because, you know, then we get these, these modern day, like we're always talking about, oh, first prime minister, first da-da-da-da from whatever country. Yeah. And it's like, yes, so true and so important and so interesting. But don't forget there were a bunch of badass African queens <laughs> who like dominated most of, you know. Yeah, this is one and it's not pop-up culture. It's yeah. it's it happens a lot and it was pretty much their norm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So I, I just think it's really cool. And we, you know, this is post-colonialism. All the things that you learn about in school related to colonialism, their oppressive systems, their racist systems, it, you know, breeds war and yeah. violence. It also brings, you know, like certain aspects of industrialization and, you know, quote unquote, modern societies or whatever. <laughs> but embedded in that, it's also bringing the patriarchy wherever it goes. You know, in the United States, when you study U.S. history, like you have these vibrant matrilineal indigenous societies that are being taken over by patriarchal Europe, you know, wherever that, that goes, it's it's changing the way that gender is seen in that place. And Africa is no different. And yeah. so it's just so heartbreaking a little bit to me to know this like rich tradition of women's leadership and then to take all this time, all this colonial stuff to only in the 2000s have this woman elected to leadership you know it just seems contrary to the tradition but yet how cool ellen johnson sirleaf is the winner of a nobel peace prize so she's not just like a leader leader. she's a kick-ass leader (laughs) yeah she's amazing so i'm really excited to have professor scully teach a little bit more about this amazing woman awesome let's let her introduce herself Hello uh, again. I'm Professor Pamela Scully. Uh, I'm Professor of Women, Gender and Sexuality Studies and Professor of African Studies at Emory University in Atlanta. Um, I have my PhD in history from the University of Michigan, and I work on transnational gender and women's history. So I've written books on the ending of 
slavery uh, in the British Empire, focusing on uh, the Cape Colony, South Africa, looking at emancipation as a gendered project. I co-authored a biography of Sarah Bartman, uh, who was known as the Hottentot Venus. Um, I've written on um, gender and slave emancipation in the Atlantic world with a colleague and also a book called Writing Transnational History. And your book on Sarah Bartman was a feature on a previous episode. So if everyone missed that and you're really loving this episode, go back and listen to our one on Sarah Bartman. Um, And we did link your book in the show notes um, so folks can check that out there. So today we're going to be talking about a much more modern woman. Would you mind telling us a little bit about her and why she's such an important topic for teachers to bring into the classroom? Sure. So today we are talking about Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who is a pragmatic politician who made her way through very challenging times, uh, including a civil war. She was born in Monrovia, Liberia, in October of 1938. And she is notable for a whole host of reasons, including that she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011, along with two other people. And she was president of Liberia in West Africa from 2006 to 2018, so fairly recently. And this made her the first elected female African head of state ever. And before that, she held influential positions in the United Nations, uh, such as the UN Development Program for Africa, the Development Fund for Women, as well as working for the World Bank and Citibank. And before that, she held various positions in various Liberian governments. Um, so she she really is quite uh, a significant person in in women in world history, let alone women's history. Yeah, she sounds like a total girl boss. <laughs> she is, and along the way, she you know she had a number of children. She, you know, she got an MA in the United States. Uh, she is she is a really serious girl boss, um, and I think you know. Uh, getting to know her a bit and studying her, uh, students would be introduced to an African leader, a leading woman leader from Africa, an influential world leader on post-conflict reconstruction about how to um, try to heal a society after war, also an international feminist. And I think along the way, it would teach students about the country of Liberia, which is very important, for, uh, I would say, you know, obviously for everybody, but for American students, it's important because Liberia was founded by settlers, both white missionaries and African-Americans fleeing slavery in the United States. And there are lots of connected, interconnected histories between these two countries, including, um, as I said, uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf was born in Monrovia, which is the capital of Liberia, and Monrovia gets its name from President James Monroe. So there's a whole history of really interesting relationships between the USA and Liberia that would be interesting for students to learn as they learn about this uh, really important world leader. Hmm. Well, I don't want to insult our listeners by explaining where Liberia is, but just in case (laughs) we have some people that are like, cool, Liberia, interesting. Hmm, Where is that? (laughs) For you all, we're talking West Africa, which is where many of the most powerful African kingdoms come from in, in history. Liberia is right next to Sierra Leone. Okay. So that should orient everyone to where we are as you've oriented us to when we are. And I cannot wait to learn more about her because 
Yeah, I've had children, but I um, did not win a Nobel Peace Prize at the same time, nor manage the World Bank or all these other things. What an amazing human. What sort of sort, I mean, it sounds like because she's touched so many things, there there isn't really an absence of sources for understanding this woman. What do you think are the best ones for getting a sense of who she is and bringing her into the classroom? Well, well, what's lovely is she wrote a very good autobiography called, uh, which gives you a sense of Ellen Johnson's early called This Child Will Be Great. I wrote a short book on her for Ohio University Press's um, short history of Africa series called Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, which is very accessible. It was written to be accessible. Helene Cooper has written a biography, which is an excellent biography of Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. So, you know, there's a lot of material in that sense. Um, And then um, there's a really wonderful film, uh, particularly for, you know, maybe high schoolers called Pray the Devil Back to Hell about the women's movement in Liberia and the way that they forced uh, the warlords to the peace table in the early 2000s. Um, It was produced by Abigail Disney. Uh, It won lots of awards. It's very, you know, you can, you can get it anywhere and it's very accessible. It, it, it would need some, um, I think some priming about there's certainly scenes. It's also about a civil war. So there are some scenes that are really horrible, but it is a wonderful way of seeing the context in which the sort of changeover to peace happened. Um, It doesn't feature Ellen Johnson's early so much, but I think it'd be a very good resource. Um, And then there are just lots of primary sources. Um, So Ellen Johnson certainly was really uh, a leading person in a whole um, change really in the way that the United Nations um, approached uh, civil war conflict and post-conflict reconstruction. And she um, and a number of people, but she and her colleague Elizabeth Wren wrote the like the United Nations kind of textbook handbook for on women, war, and peace, and it details the challenges that women experience under in civil war, um, the importance of having them at the peace table. That you can't just have peace treaties and negotiations done by men because then the women's never get included ever. You know, and that has implications for the for the post conflict. So, so she literally helped write this huge handbook that um, you can see online. Yeah, there's this sort of myth, right, that like men can sit around a table and think about women's issues and write some policies that would benefit, you know, like think, you know, think about women and children. But it's like if like, you're lucky, <laughs> if you're lucky, and I think that's in theory. You know, like just like in theory, I can think about, you know things that would support, you know, people of color, but like, I am a white woman. Like I need to like own that and know that like, I have some things that I probably don't understand or don't get. And those people should be at the table so that we can resolve these things. So I think that's a really cool way. And it makes me think in a classroom when you're thinking about inquiry, you know, I try to push people to diversify the curriculum in, in, and especially women's diversity. Right. And so here's a, a woman at the, you know, in conversations at the UN level about how we bring about resolution after conflict. What, you know, I mean, that could be the inquiry right there. How do you resolve conflict? And then you have a bunch of sources, one of them being this piece she wrote saying, get women at the table. Um, So I think that's a really cool source and i didn't know that it exists so yeah and it's you know it's available you can see you know you can find it on on the web um and the united nations for this kind of thing is you know a lot of 
there are also um, NGOs, but the United Nations, there's lots of information on the web if you if you you know wanted to work on that with students there's also for example on ellen johnson sirleaf um because she's so you know she's just so fabulous she gave an address to congress in 2006 uh which is a video that one can access so one can get a sense of her this is the u.s congress that she is yes and again that speaks to the links between the u.s and Liberia. they go back you know very far um not always i mean uh, not necessarily positive. Uh, one of them is the company Firestone, which makes, you know, tires. They got an exclusive contract with the Liberian government way back when, in, you know, in the 1920s, I think it was, uh, where they kind of got an almost exclusive contract to the rubber. There, there's lots of rubber trees in Liberia. And um, that really funded Firestone's rise in terms of access to rubber, and it was not on good terms for Liberia at all. And so, but so there is a, a, a long history between the two countries. So yes, so she's invited to the U.S. Congress in two thousand six. Uh, I think she just she was. I think she'd just been elected president uh, that year. She just started her term. Um, the other context is going in the route you were suggesting about uh, women. You know how how can one include women in peace treaties, and how can we include women so that societies after civil war and conflict are you know as gender affirming as possible? Um, there's a, a Security Council resolution thirteen twenty five, which again is also very very available. And there you can see it's almost like if you look at that, you can see the the principles which. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf's tried to govern when she became president are sort of, you know, encapsulated in that resolution. And that security resolution was a very big deal. That was um, on women, war, and peace. That the, um, you know, the, the UN actually made this resolution that women had to be included. And there were a whole series of other resolutions subsequently that looked at sexual violence in wartime and and the need to look after children and um, I've actually written about that. So, you know, on the web, you could look up my name and see that there too. And then, of course, there are lots of newspaper reports everywhere on Ellen Johnson Sirleaf's work as president. So there's just lots. Um, and then the Nobel Peace Prize site documents a few of her achievements. Not, it, It's certainly not comprehensive. But there are lots of, you know, different ways one could approach this. And she was given Nobel Peace Prize precisely because of her work in trying to uh, lift up women as important citizens of Liberia and the world and making sure that they weren't left out after civil war. So. When is, when was the Liberian civil war? You said you said so her- the coup, there was a coup by um, a staff sergeant called Samuel Doe in 1980 and not exactly then but pretty shortly after that the 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 country you know descended into civil war. There actually sort of two Liberian civil wars, but generally you could say from like mid-80s to really to around 2003, the country was at war with, with some, you know, some moments when they, when they weren't. But what's interesting about Ellen Johnson Sirleaf is that she actually, uh, you know, she's not a universally popular figure because she is a survivor. and one of the ways she survived was, I think, to navigate through some extremely challenging situations. She was briefly in Samuel Doe's uh, cabinet, I guess, and he, he, 
was a scary guy, but she was also, you know, in jail and prison and feared for her life at another point. I mean, she's had a, it's, it's quite a life. My sense is even if one could take issue with certain things, to be a leader is to do things that aren't always popular. It doesn't mean that they're even always right. But I think she is she is clearly someone of of great stature who she is definitely worth knowing and um, knowing about. And I think because she's part of this generation of um, sort of second wave feminists in a way, but but from West Africa rather than the US. But she is very much of the same kind of I would say wave of feminists and politics as. you know, Clinton and Hillary Clinton and co, that that, that would be, you know, um, a generation that sought to make a change and, and moved into institutions and tried to do the best they could to kind of move those institutions, if only a little bit. So it sounds like, if I am understanding this right, she is sort of a sympathizer with the guy who staged this coup. No, I, no, no, I know. I wouldn't call her a sympathizer. I think... I would say Ellen Johnson certainly sees herself as fundamentally a public servant. Mm-hmm. Thinks about and she, her skills were in finance, and so my sense, looking at her career, was at least in Liberia, was you know, my sense is that she would think, okay, how can I best help here? And you know, at one point she was one of the few people who had you know, skills. She'd been to the states, done a master's there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I don't know. I think. I think she's quite an independent woman who looks at the lay of the land and thinks about, okay, where could I help best? What are the, the what are the, the ethical issues here? Where, you know, where where should I land? But I don't. I mean, also in the same vein, um, for a while she supported Charles Taylor, who maybe some people will remember as being connected to Blood Diamonds, and he he became president of Liberia after no is a scary guy I mean he's now in jail um but she supported him for a while too and that came up in the truth and reconciliation commission in Liberia that she'd been his supporter um Mm. and it caused her some problems she's pragmatic she's a pragmatic politician I I I guess I think it's easier to judge but yeah but she's had a very long career Along the way, I think there are arenas where one would not always agree with her. Yeah, but it seems like there's this these this series of kind of scary guys who come to power in a military, yes. you know, in the midst of civil war, and both of them are ousted, and they're like, "Hey, we need a pragmatic woman." Maybe that wasn't probably top of their criteria list, but pragmatic person who can get stuff done and. Um, bring in power. And I didn't realize, I guess the United States is involved in helping, you know, we send a few hundred troops to end this, help end this conflict and bring about peace, which is kind of nice. It would have been nice if it had happened, you know, in 1980. I I would say uh, uh, the United States relationship with Liberia is, is, I wouldn't say one is one of really one of aiding very much. It's more Really, I mean, it's more, I think, of seeing how Liberia can help the United States. So, for example, at some point, it, you know, Liberia was a place where the CIA used as a kind of base for various Cold War explanation, you know, explorations in Africa and things. Um, I think the terms on which the U.S. has worked with 
Liberia have, have never really been to Liberia's benefits. Uh, the one thing I would say, though, um, since we are living at the moment where President Carter is in hospice, is President Carter, uh, who also <laughs> has a somewhat complicated relationship with Liberia, the Carter Center, President Carter, um, has done election monitoring for, for many years, uh, doing excellent work in protecting democracy around the world. Um, and But they did confirm that the election for Charles Taylor was, um, you know, fair enough, I guess. And um, subsequent to that, some really, really bad stuff happened in Liberia, which I think was not good. And I think the, Car the Carter Centre regretted that particular intervention. But, and I will say I've done work at the Carter Centre, so I'm probably not completely neutral. But what is really remarkable about President Carter is he atones for things, I think. And so when the Civil War ended in Liberia and Ellen Johnson Sirleaf became president in 2006, she became president in January 2006, the Carter Center became very involved in Liberia in helping train lawyers, in running a rule of law program, in democracy work. And there are lots of organizations that say they're doing good work, but the Carter Center really does. They appoint, you know, at one point the, the head of their Carter Center in Liberia was Liberian. They employed Liberians. It was a very different kind of place than uh, quite a lot of these initiatives that I've seen. And again, actually thinking about that, that the Carter Center uh, website also has a lot of information about Liberia and their work uh, in Liberia in terms of working with local communities. And it's a very, I would say it's a very good resource. Um, so. In that history of the U.S. not having, I would say, great relationships with Liberia, I would say the Carter Center, since the, the ending of the Civil War, has re it really stands as, a, as an example of what can be done in terms of really good collaboration. And again, that's not the United States as the government, but it is an example of, of a really good, I think, way of working across um, boundaries. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how does... Ellen Johnson, Sarif, bring everybody together. Like, how how do you do that in the midst of civil war and like, or in the aftermath of a civil war? Because it seems like this has been an ongoing war that has sparked multiple times. And like, how do you prevent it from sparking again? Like, what did she do to to bring about peace? That is a really great question. And I think, I mean, one thing I would say is during much of the Civil War, um, because, you know, her life was threatened, Ellen Johnson's relief was not in Liberia. So there's that. But when she came back, having campaigned and won, you know, uh, the presidency, one of the ways that she was successful. Did she campaign from abroad? No, no, no. She campaigned in Liberia. But I mean, okay. she was away. And, and again, she hired an American election, you know, dynamo to help her figure out how to reach different communities and things. Her ace in the hole, I think, was that she had all these international connections. She had contact at the World Bank, at Citibank. She knew all the people she needed to know in the United Nations. And so, and and she, there's a very, very big and important Liberian diaspora in, in the United States of people who fled during the Civil War and came over here and, you know, their children grew up here. There's a lot of back and forth between Liberia and the United States. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf called on everybody. She called on her friends in the UN. She called on Citibank. She phoned up the head of whatever and and got. Um, she really worked those phones. And she did one of the reasons ended up, you know, I think giving a talk to Congress. She went around the world calling in the favors, saying, 
you need to step up here. We need you and you're going to have to help. And so she understood the importance of kind of shuttle diplomacy going around the world, making sure that Liberian issues were visible to everybody. As a result, she has won every international prize you could possibly mention. It's it's if you go on Wikipedia and just look at all the prizes she's won, it's unbelievable. So she got people. So for example, she uh, called on a, a Liberian who had been a provost at a, one of the I think the New York campuses, and asked if she could you please come down and become president of one of the universities in Liberia. You know, please come out of retirement and help. And that person did. All the big NGOs like uh, Doctors Without Borders, uh, American Red Cross, the Carter Center, I mean, you name it, came to Liberia to help. The UN was there. There were peacekeepers in, in, in Liberia for, for years and years and years with their white trucks. And um, um, you'd go to a small village and there would be a little UN peacekeeping camp. I mean, so for example, maybe it's not a village, but Harper in Liberia is the southernmost town. And there was a big um, UN camp there, peace camp. So that is how she did it. I think that was the strength of her presidency, where she was able to bring in the big guns to say, okay, we need security. We need to figure out a way to get some money flowing back into the country. We need to figure out our debt issues. We need to renegotiate some of these uh, contracts with foreign firms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she did it. It's, it's really quite amazing. And she focused a lot on educating women. Uh, a lot of money was poured into girls' education. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Again, I think that might also have been be maybe the long term challenge of her administration. It it relied so much on the work and support of people from outside that I think it's very challenging to keep that going. I don't know what else she could have done. So this is not really like she should have done X as opposed to Y. I just think it is a a cost possibly of bringing in so many people from outside. Um, but but she was very, very successful. And uh, she won the Mo Ibrahim Prize for Good Governance, which um, this person with lots of money gives to a, a leader in Africa who, um, you know, um, seeds their, their presidency, you know, understands elections and democracy and moves on and has done a very good thing for their country. She won that prize recently, a couple of years ago, in recognition of everything she'd done. So again, I mean, you know, one can quibble with some of the things. I, yeah. So I think, you know, in terms of guiding students through it too, because she's she's remarkable as a woman. You know, she she and you can see this from quite a young age is that she seems to have had a, quite a good sense of self. You know, she she took us. You know, she had children. She went off and went to university in 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 the USA. She did get divorced after a challenging marriage. She ended up working in finance, which is not, you know, certainly then wasn't the usual place for a woman. So I think just paying attention to what does it take for a woman to kind of really be successful would be interesting. Mm. Um, and I think certainly, you know, her work with the UN uh, to make women at the center of decision-making around peace and rebuilding societies is absolutely key. But in terms of, you know, what for teachers to think about what students might need to know to really, you know, um, fully appreciate what, she, you know, studying her. I do think obviously Liberia's history as a settler colony um, is very important because there were a whole bunch of different little kind of colonies, I guess, on, on the coast. Um, again, out of America, some of them largely uh, African-American by people fleeing slavery in the States. 
some white missionaries who was in support saying we don't want African-Americans in the United States, so yes, we'll help you go back to Africa. So it's not a, you know, it's not a pretty picture. And those, uh, all those sort of different colonies came together to form Liberia in about 1847. But then they extended, really it is a kind of colonial rule over the interior indigenous societies. And that has to be understood because it's, it was really that tension that fuels um, fueled the civil wars. So that I think need to know some of that history. They'd need to know something about the Liberian Civil War and then definitely the rise of second-rate feminism. I mean, I think it's just an interesting topic and would be, you know, we're living in the in the wake of that that generation of doing all that work. Yeah, that's outstanding. We spend a lot of time in our classes talking about colonialism. And I think we need a lot more on decolonization. And it sounds like you know, civil war coming out of a period of decolonization, sadly, is like a common theme. And because there's this like power vacuum, and she is the stability. And I think that's a really cool, just a really cool story for students to hear, not only that countries can restabilize, but that a woman can be the one doing that. How important. <laughs> I, I, Absolutely. And and also to know a story of a woman who does actually manage, you know, because um, we also need inspiring figures. As ever, I think it's complex whether all she did for women lasts in Liberia. We don't yet know. You know, what will Liberia look like in 20 years time? Will there be little girls who went to school who are now able, you know, imagine themselves as presidents and get to be presidents? I think she tried very hard. I should say that her first um, her first term was was is generally seen as more successful slash popular. In her second term, uh, it became more complicated uh, in terms of, of allegations of corruption and challenges. Again, she had to face Ebola. Uh, uh, Liberia was very badly hit by Ebola, and I gave a talk on her um, a few, last year, and I said, you know, I think a key point about leadership of people who learn from their mistakes. And so when Ebola came to Liberia, um, President Sirdi was initially quite, um, didn't take the public health approach. She she uh, locked down one community where there was quite a lot of Ebola and um, that led to a lot of protests and things. But then she took stock and realized she needed to really work with communities uh, like the cart the, and the Carter Center helped there, but she worked with the the you know the chiefly elders. She worked with women's groups and and realized that it really had to be uh, an approach that would talk uh, to elders and talk about the importance of of not hugging and and saying hello like many Liberians do and a lot of touching of hands. But that actually, I, I mean, and it's the hardest thing to do really is to ask people please don't touch the bodies of your dead because that's going to you know keep the virus going so she really i think that's even though there were failures at the beginning of ebola liberia came out of ebola first of the three countries guinea sierra leone um, and liberia because of this public health approach and it was it was before the u.s you know by the time the u.s came through with doctors and camps and tents and things liberia was really well on the way to 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 healing and so i actually think that ebola example is an example of her leadership as well because it, it's it's about failing and then going okay how can I learn and do this better and and they did it was really impressive well Dr. Scully thank you so much for joining me on this episode I think it's just so incredible um, to learn more about her and 
to have, like you said, these like models for young people about somebody who can have a really complicated, I think you used that word several times today, (laughs) have a really complicated life and yet still, you know, be a model for improving on mistakes and humility, but also like we started with, just be a complete powerhouse. And I want to just remind everybody the list that you shared with me at the beginning. Nobel Peace Prize winner, leader of Liberia for two terms, worked for the World Bank, has an MA from the United States, had multiple children. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and I think 10 grandchildren. No, she, she's, she's a force and um, we should be we should celebrate women who, who, you know, make something of their lives, for sure. Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.